Hello. Hello. And welcome to Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And for episode eight, we are bringing you part two of the Lisa Paspalaki story. Yay! It's been a lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. But not in a bad way. It's just been a lot of information. I think I, personally, I think I droned on a lot in the first episode. Are part one, so I'm really sorry about that, y'all. We're gonna be better in part two, but it'll probably be just as long. So just a heads up. I think it's good information, though. Without all that background, they wouldn't know what the hell's going on. Absolutely, and I did cut out a lot of fluff, people. I need you to know that. No <laughs> I was just fluff. Trying to get the important stuff. No fluff was included in the making of these episodes. <laughs> Well, I figure we'll kind of recap where we left off. Uh, Lisa had found out that her husband, Costa, was having this affair. She wasn't 100% sold that he was actually cheating. She had gotten that phone call from this woman whose husband was a partner with Costa at his bar top shots. And... Lisa really kind of wanted to believe Costa. And then she had all these crazy run-ins happening with her. Then we ended at the very last uh, crazy experience she had with the man trying to rob her at gunpoint in Joyland. So, where are we now? <laughs> uh, a little background. At this point, Costa is pretty broke. Okay. The only person that really has money in their relationship is his wife. So he's living this super lavish life, but like his pool hall isn't really making a lot of money. And he only made about $30,000 overall from his counterfeiting scheme he was running. And he's like constantly buying his girlfriend stuff. He's picking up tabs. He's, you know, living this on all outer appearances. He's living a very lavish life. According to various people, the fall plot to kill Lisa was actually happening way before she found out about having him having an affair. So lots of talks about divorce and this affair were just kind of expediting that. There were lots of kids and junkies that were kind of hanging out at this pool hall that were really involved with Costa, with Deidre. And potentially with the scheme to have Lisa killed. One of these people, his name was Kevin Ramsey. And he was a drifter. He ended up, you know, ending up in Daytona Beach and getting a job bartending at Top Shots. He was pretty well liked. He would do just about any job needed there. And he really looked up to Costa. He looked up to him. He really liked him and he feared him. And Costa had even bailed him out of jail once when he sold weed to an undercover cop. What an idiot. <laughs> he was constantly doing a lot of schemes for Costa. And they kind of eventually started butted he butting heads over this. Kevin got in deep 
kind of for the first time with Costa when he found out that Kevin had stolen money from Top Shots and fired him. They were still kind of on good terms at this point. He just really didn't want him at the bar, obviously. So they were kind of cool. And then Costa found out that Kevin was actually running prostitutes, which was something that Costa was doing as well. So he was getting kind of pissed. He, like, felt like he was losing out on money because of Kevin. Some of his girls started working for Kevin instead. And so Costa was not very happy. Apparently, Kevin also found out that Costa was running a counterfeit ring. And he had made comments to Deidre about blackmailing Costa into giving him money or he would go to the police. At this point, (laughs) Kevin is getting a lot of threats. And Costa was making it known that he would kill Kevin. And Kevin had told several people he was pretty scared for his life and worried he was going to be killed. As mentioned in part one, Costa had told Deidre about the H&K Club, the Hunters and Killers Club, and that she had to kill someone to enter this club. And this is all going on while she's also actually trying to help find people to help kill Lisa. So this is kind of where Kevin comes into play. On October 20th, 1989, Deidre told her friend and lover, Lori, that she was going to kill Kevin to be initiated into the H&K Club. According to Deidre's later accounts, this is the how everything kind of played out that Friday, October 20th night. Kevin met Deidre at Popeye's. And Deidre had apparently reached out, said Costa wanted to squash the beef with him. He wanted to get him in the H&K Club, which Kevin had heard about as well. And so he just wanted to squash everything and get him better opportunities. He really thought Kevin was a good guy and they didn't want there to be any hard feelings. All was forgiven. So Kevin willingly went and met Costa and Deidre. Costa got there to pick them up. And they both got in the car. Costa started driving for a while. And they ended up in like a wooded area where all three of them got out. Started walking for a while away from the road. And according to Deidre, the plan was that Costa was to shoot at Kevin's feet while he stood perfectly still. And this would qualify him to be initiated into the H&K club. And that would make him qualified as well to also go to Europe and be a contract killer. What the fuck? Don't, don't know how those two things he I think say. that qualifies him to lose all of his toes too, or at least like <laughs> six of the ten. Uh, yeah, same. <laughs> so, like I said, willingly walking in the woods, Costa handed a 22 gun, 22 caliber gun to Deidre and tied Kevin to the tree. Then Costa pulled out a video camera, told Deirdre where to stand and to shoot him, and she did. Two from where she was standing pointed at him in the chest, and then she walked closer, grabbed his hair, lifted his head, and shot him directly in the head. All on video camera that Costa was holding in his hand. At this point, Costa walks up, 
shoots him once more with some Russian semi-automatic gun, apparently, according to Deirdre, and then took the rope off so he was slumped against the tree. Kevin's last words were, oh my god, after the first two bullets and before uh, Deirdre had shot him in the head. There are at least four people that later came forward that in the next few days, Deirdre bragged about this to them. So in, you know, part one, we hear a lot of, like, their crazy behaviors and their crazy threats. But, like, this is what we're first actually seeing that what they're these two are capable of. The whole, you know, premise of this is that then going into this, Lisa has to be murdered, right? That's how Costa and Deirdre looks at it. Costa wants Lisa's money. He figures... If she's murdered, he won't, instead of divorcing him, he'll get all her money. And Deidre will reap the benefits because she's Costa's girlfriend. So Deidre is actually put to work helping find people with and for Costa to kill Lisa. Later on, there are at least five people confirmed that have they either know of or have come forward, basically that were asked or threatened to kill Lisa. <laughs> The first one was J.R. He was Deidre's boyfriend. She had, as I mentioned, her background in part one. She had moved to Daytona Beach, broke up with the abusive boyfriend. One of the guys she had started seeing before her and Costa got together was J.R. J.R. was also really good friends with Kevin Ramsey. And he used to work with Costa for doing, like, little things. Um, I want to say it was like car theft and stuff like that and making money like that. JR agreed to kill someone for Costa, but there really wasn't a lot of follow up. And at this point, Deidre was giving him lots of money. They were on and off still kind of hooking up. And she finally was like, listen, I'll give you $100,000 to kill Lisa. Lori, who I mentioned previously, uh, Deirdre's best friend and lover was standing there. It's such a weird word. Sorry. <laughs> lover. Lover, lover. <laughs> lover, lover, lover. <laughs> you don't treat me no good. Basically, her, her and Deirdre were also hooking up, but they were best friends. Really so, freaking weird. Yes. <laughs> and Lori does play a, a pretty big part in like a couple different sections here in part two. So, I'll keep bringing her up. I'm not going to keep explaining who she is. But Lori was standing there apparently when Deidre was giving JR all the details. And finally she just kind of looked at Deidre and was like, no, not him. And JR just felt like something really bad was going to happen to him if he agreed to it all. So he kind of flaked on it all. And that was really the end of it. He never heard anything more about it. Uh, the second guy who was offered to kill Lisa was a man named Gus Moamis. He apparently was a jail buddy of Kevin Ramsey's. And when he got out of jail, got down to Daytona Beach. Costa had hired him to steal a car for an insurance job. And he claimed to do about eight or nine of them for Costa by the end of their relationship together. Costa eventually showed Gus $75,000 at the bar once in, like, a back room at the bar and offered it 
to him if he would kill someone. Gus kept asking him, like, who do you want me to kill? Like, what's going on? And Costa wouldn't tell him who and just said, think on it before you make a decision. And then I don't know if it was that night or the next day. But basically, Deidre was getting pretty drunk at the bar and had kind of spilled the beans to Gus that it would have been Lisa the next day before he could even follow up with anything like that with Costa he had agreed to Deidre but then the next day he got arrested on unrelated charges so that kind of ended with Gus god damn it Gus (laughs) well I guess that's what happens when you're you know doing a bunch of schemes with a bunch of shady people it's true. At least he, at least his name wasn't Jr. Like he wasn't, he couldn't be the real. <laughs> Jr. is Junior. He couldn't be a real Junior. He had to be original, so he called himself Jr. Yeah, I don't even remember what his real name was because I only called him Jr. <laughs> Lame. Agreed. The third person who was approached to kill Lisa, his name was Matthew Chumley. But don't worry, he did not go by that name. He went by Mike Cox. (laughs) Chumley, like the Chumley. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. (laughs) But he had an alias. He went by Mike Cox, so no one even knew him as Chumley. You'd think it'd be the opposite. His name is Mike Cox and he goes by Chumley. You'd think. So, Cox was a drug addict, and he was often homeless, living either on the street or couch surfing, and, of course, wandered to Top Shots. He met Deidre there and eventually kind of became friends with her, pals with her, and eventually met Costa through her as well. Mike had tried to buy guns from Costa at one point. He was robbing people and running drugs on the streets when he was living like that's how he made money and got his fix but the price was too high to buy those guns so he didn't do it this did already put him on costa's radar he was eventually offered ten thousand dollars to kill someone by deidre also can we just acknowledge the first guy it was 100k the second one it was 75 and now they're down to ten thousand (laughs) dollars I mean, I guess you have to go to the... If someone's willing to take, like, $10,000, they're probably a shady individual. Like, you gotta start going to, like, the... Like, they started off... I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. They started off with, like, the better criminals. So you have to offer them more money. Then okay. they got down to, like, the shady criminals who are willing <laughs> to take, like, 20 bucks to go do something. I mean, I think that's what they their whole idea was. Like, alright, if we can't get the real criminals to do it we're gonna have to go to the shady individuals probably honestly because now mike cox is getting offered ten thousand dollars and he didn't really trust trust deidre he kind of trusted costa a little more which is weird but he agreed anyways Deidre and Mike were talking about it when they were at the bar one time. Deidre wasn't working, so she was drinking and telling him a little bit. And slowly, like, more and more was coming out. So he was kind of told he would shoot someone in the office of a place. And then someone would walk out of the bathroom. And he had to shoot them in the shoulder. And then eventually it comes out that it was Costa coming out of the bathroom. And... 
Deidre just kept drinking and drinking and telling Michael all this conflicting stuff. And he seemed really confused. And there were a lot of red flags. So at this point, he was, like, getting ready to bail and back out of this whole thing. Because he's like, this seems shady. And I think something is going to happen to me. I don't want to be involved into this. And the next morning, he was arrested for trespassing. So he couldn't even meet up with Deidre and Costa when they were supposed to. He was probably happy as hell. Like, oh, thank God. Yes, 100%. The fourth person approached to kill Lisa was a kid named Taja. Taja was actually Lori's boyfriend. How it all kind of played out is they were, Deidre and Taja were sitting there at her house talking, hanging out. And basically Deidre admitted to him that she killed Kevin. He was really pissed. He didn't, like, believe her at first. She showed him, like, shoes in her closet that had his blood on the bottom. She was giving him all these details. And then he was, he was got pissed. He was like, what the heck? Like, he was really good friends with Kevin. So he was pretty upset about it. And he was even more upset that his girlfriend, Lori, had, knew, had known about Kevin getting killed and didn't say anything because they were friends. Basically, Deidre told him, like, Costa was coming to talk to him next. And if he didn't agree to the job, he would end up like Kevin. So now they're not asking or trying to pay people. They're, like, being told they have to. A little background on Taja. He had arrived in Daytona Beach in 1989. He came down during spring break and stayed to work for his dad for a little bit in a neighboring city called Holly Hill. A little background, too, while I'm going into background already, Taja was really the only black kid hanging out in that area. He was a light-skinned black kid, and most of them were white kids that came from, like, really rough families. Taja did kind of stick out a little bit. However, he ended up meeting Lori and kind of fell for her, so he stayed and moved in with his dad for a little bit. He... Kind of survived in the crowd by being a bit shady himself. And he actually spread a rumor about him killing someone. And that obviously got around to other people to, like, make him seem more intimidating. Fun fact, it was false. Costa was pretty impressed with him after meeting him one time. He was up at the bar hanging out with Kevin. They had gotten to know each other. And some customer had gotten really, like, out of hand and extra drunk. So, Taja was like, okay, man, like, you gotta go. He was kind of working as, like, a security guard, but not really. And this guy called Taja the N-word. And Taja beat him up. Apparently, from accounts, he hit him twice and this guy fell to the ground. And after that, Costa was, like, super trusting of him and started asking him to do, like, random jobs for him. Naturally. Exactly. When Costa finally met with Taja about killing Lisa, he was asked if he would do it for $10,000. But basically, the way it was all put to him is he was being told he had to. I had mentioned in part one the Halloween party at Razzles and how it was such a big deal for Costa and Lisa to go. It's because Taja was actually supposed to stab Lisa to death at Razzles that night. 
He felt like there were way too many people around and he felt super uncomfortable. Costa basically wanted him to like randomly walk up to her, stab her in the back a bunch of times and then like leave her propped in a chair. And everyone would think she was drunk. (laughs) Like a movie. (laughs) How do you just like stab someone in the back though a couple times? I I have no idea. In the middle of a venue. A packed venue. He had provided the knife and everything. Like, Costa met up with him in the bathroom and everything. But after he couldn't do it, he was super upset about it and was really trying to bail. And Costa was mad. He was like, no, now you have to kill her at Joyland. So he basically told her, like, listen, this is when Dino leaves to go. Her brother leaves to go do his drop off. This is how long he's going to be gone. This is where Deidre is going to pick you up and wait for you out for afterwards. So you can get away quickly. But then we obviously know what happens and how Lisa gets away. That's how we ended part one. So all of this stuff in part two so far has kind of been going on overlapping what was happening in part one. Now we're up to date after Taja got away when Lisa had ran out. Taja got away. No one caught him or anything. No one really even saw him. And Deidre picked him up just like she was supposed to and drove him away. Meanwhile, all of this is happening. Costa goes right to work about, like, updating security systems for her and playing, like, the dutiful husband. He installs an intercom system at the office the same day that she was robbed at gunpoint. And within, like, 24 hours, puts a security system at home, like, an alarm system at their home. Mind you, ever since her father, Sino, died, Lisa and Costa moved in with her mom and her brother. So they could all be there together and help with the mom. Costa even gave her a rifle to keep in the office to scare off people. So that all those events that took place robbing Joyland was November 1st. On Thursday, November 2nd, a police officer came to her home because she took the day off. Obviously, I would too. And she went threw a bunch of random lineup pictures based off of her description of who had tried to rob her. And she actually identified Tasia out of the lineup. Dino, her brother, was, like, instantly pissed. He was like, hey, I know that kid. He worked at Joyland for less than a week, and he hangs out at Top Shots, and he kind of looked at Costa and was like, you and Deidre know him. And Costa didn't say anything. He, like, Immediately after the police officer left, he left and ran errands. So, alarm bells are kind of going off for Dino, her brother, at this point. The next day, Costa and Lisa took a drive to Edgewater, and she was looking for some reassurance. This has, like, absolutely nothing to do with the case, but I heard this and was like, I need to include this she's like literally looking for some reassurance she's then super jumpy she's really scared that Taja's gonna come after her like she can identify him Costa literally tells her oh yeah if I was Tasia I'd come back and kill you because obviously you can identify him and then he's like what if some someone had hired him to to kill you and she's like who would kill like hire someone to kill me like this doesn't make sense and then all these like fears that she had been like 
Costa was involved or Deirdre was involved are like slowly eating at her and she's kind of getting really freaked out and paranoid at this point. Way to spill the beans on yourself, dude. Literally, he's just making himself look worse. What an idiot. When you when your guilty conscience comes out and you just have to say something. <laughs> Literally. So the fifth and final person that they're aware of being asked to kill Lisa is this kid, Brian Chase. He is a little different from everyone else because he's actually a Daytona Beach local. He is an 18-year-old kid. He was kind-hearted, easygoing, but he was really easily manipulated, especially by women. And he was in love with Deidre. He was, like, obsessed with her. So when Tasia failed to kill Lisa, Costa was pissed. He, like, literally gave her, like, you have two hours to find someone to kill Lisa or you're going to have to kill her yourself. And even though Deidre had killed Kevin at this point, she didn't want to be the one to kill Lisa. So she was stressed. She was pissed. She was begging and crying her fr- to her friends. And one of her friends that happened to be there was Brian Chase. She begged him, please do it for me. Please, so I don't have to. And Brian agreed. Kind of essentially at, like, the promise that he would get laid and be able to have sex with Deidre. The gun Tasia had used to rob Joyland was then given back to Deidre afterwards. And she had given this to Brian to use to kill Lisa. What Brian did not know, but essentially everyone else, Costa, Deidre, Lori, and Taja were all aware that this gun was known to jam after the first shot. No one ever fixed it. And they gave it to Brian to use. Despite this, the plan when he was going over it with Costa was essentially to shoot Lisa four times in the head. He had two instances where he actually followed Lisa at night, both November 1st and the 2nd, to kill her. But he never did it. Once she had not gone straight home, so he got confused and stopped following her. And the second, on the second, he actually followed her all the way to her home, but he never got out to kill her. And they know this for a fact because Deidre and Lori were following him to make sure that he did it. At this point, they're stressed. Brian's like, I can't just, like, drive up on her and kill her. So Casa agrees to have her killed at the house. But obviously, they have a new alarm system and everything. So, so his plan was that he was going to have to try to break a window and climb through the window. The first time Brian goes to the house, he comes back to Deidre and said he couldn't break a window to get in. The second time he was actually provided a glass cutter and he still came back to tell them he was scared off by the sounds of the neighbors. Cause they expected him to cut a window in the front of the house. Jesus. <laughs> of all the places, like you got to pick like the small corner in the back. Like, Don't worry, that's, you know, the next one here. (laughs) And also, I just want you to know that it was proven between Deidre and Lori that at least six times Brian had backed out of killing Lisa for some reason or another. So he was, like, really trying to figure out how to get away with not doing this. Friday, November 3rd, the plan was altered to kind of accommodate him. 
Instead of breaking a window in the front, he would go to the back by one of the small windows during the swimming pool. But they were pretty small, so Costa didn't think, like, a grown man would fit through it. So his plan was he would shut off the basement light as a signal to Brian once Lisa was asleep and everyone else in the house was asleep. Then he would go shut off the alarm. Brian would break the back window by the swimming pool and then enter through the back door. This fateful evening, Friday, November 3rd, Dino had gone out with some friends. He'd gotten back super late and had actually woken up in the middle of the night. Probably he didn't get home until I think after one in the morning. So he gotten up probably like three or four in the morning to get a glass of milk. I did include that because who gets up in the middle of the night for a glass of milk? He's eating cookies and drinking <laughs> milk in the middle of the Man, night. It makes me want to throw up thinking about it. <laughs> That's also true. No normal person just drinks milk in the middle of the night. Literally. That's, serial killers do that. But it said multiple times Dino, her brother, got up in the middle of the night for a glass of milk. It's rather exact. Yeah. Well, upon getting up, he saw that the basement light was on. The basement was Costa's workshop for making all his, like, homemade bullets and a bunch of BS. So Dino thought he was down there and he had yelled down. But there was no response. So he had shut the lights off, got his, you know, cup of milk, and went back upstairs. About 15 minutes later, he had kind of heard some noises But he was already drifting back to sleep. The noises he heard was Brian smashing a brick against one of the small windows in the back. Costa luckily came downstairs. I guess luckily for Brian, but no one else. (laughs) And shut the alarm off. He let Brian in through the back door. Then actually reset the alarm. And then they waited there for a few minutes in the dark to ensure they didn't hear anyone stirring from the loud noises of him smashing that window. When they go upstairs, Costa actually climbed into bed next to Lisa. And he was adamant that he wanted to be like up close and personal and wanted to see her die. Brian pulled the trigger close to Lisa and shot her in the head. He kept trying to shoot her again, but the gun jammed. He was shaking the gun. He was not able to fire another round. And so eventually Costa looks over and sees, you know, blood pouring out of Lisa's head. So he reaches under the bed, grabbed a loaded semi-automatic pistol, and shot four bullets into Brian, killing him instantly. Lisa's family obviously woke up frantic. Her brother Dino called 911 while her mom's out there, like, screaming in the hallway. And Lisa was actually in and out the whole time. She kind of recalls a lot, which is pretty amazing. She remembered Costa, like, cradling her and crying. She remembers her mom wailing and her telling her mom she was alive and to stop yelling. (laughs) Like... (laughs) What a badass. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then she also remembers um, when 911 got there, Dino went outside to greet them. And 
Dino didn't know where the shooting was coming from at first. So when he had called 911, he was letting him know, like, I think someone's shooting from the outside. I don't know if there's shooters inside still. I heard multiple gunshots because he's not in the room and he didn't go in the room. So he didn't know. He just heard his mom screaming and he heard the gunshots. So the police made him like yell in with a bullhorn and make his mom and Costa come outside. So the cops and paramedics come in to get Lisa and she remembers them being super hesitant And then her looking like, come on, I'm over here. And then looking at Brian Chase on the ground. And she goes, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's dead. (laughs) And then she remembers them strapping her to the stretcher and carrying her out. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's insane. Like, that's one of those things I feel like people are typically, like, blackout, have no recollection of anything that happened. Like, yeah, I remember going to sleep that night. But the next thing that happened was I woke up in the hospital. But like to be but so she remembers aware all of that. Yeah. That's insane. So immediately after Lisa was taken to the hospital and ambulance, the police obviously are asking everyone else what's going on and they wouldn't let them leave while they're trying to figure it out. And the police actually administered a gun residue test to both Dino and Costa. And Costa obviously tested positive and said he woke up to the man shooting Lisa and he reached and shot and killed the man instantly before he could pull his trigger again. Dino was suspicious of Costa the whole time. Uh, actually prior to the shooting, the, after the Tasia incident, Dino actually went to an attorney and told the attorney everything that he knew, including the Costa's affair with Deidre knowing who Tasia was and that he was dating Deidre's best friend and how he he suspected everything was connected and he wanted a private investigator to follow Costa. They had kind of said, okay, let's sit on this information. If, you know, Lisa was just held up at gunpoint, Costa won't do anything right away if he is connected. And Dino was adamant that he did not want anyone to know this. He went to the hospital with Lisa, obviously, after the police investigated everyone. And there were about 40-plus other people there, too. Dino said he called his best friend. And his best friend's mom basically called, like, four or five other people. And they all called four or five other people. And then next thing you know, the waiting room was packed. (laughs) He went to basically every police officer he could that were there at the hospital asking for 24-7 protection for Lisa, and most of them blew him off. Finally, he spoke to a woman who he found out was an investigator on the case. He told her, like, listen, I suspect Costa's involved in this. I'm begging you. Like, he just tried to have my sister killed a second time. Please get her 24-7 protection. And this investigator finally granted it. So, in the hospital, obviously, so many people are there for Lisa. Just like when her father was in the hospital and all of these Greeks came, they all came for Lisa, too. I think this is a reoccurring trend that the Greeks will always be at the hospital. You know, they're big families. They're loud. They call one person and that person calls six others. And next thing you know, there's 1,200 of them there. Big mouths. (laughs) 
So once Lisa went into surgery, Costa actually left the hospital and no one really knew where he went. Can you guess where he went? To kill her. To Deidre's house. <laughs> no, come on. Yeah, he went to Deidre's to update everyone that was there. And Deidre basically lost it that Lisa was still alive. She was upset. She was screaming. She's yelling. She literally wanted to bomb the hospital because Lisa was still alive. Yes, I read about that. It was like they wanted a bomb disguised as flowers to be sent to the hospital. Yeah, what is wrong with you? (laughs) That's not something I should laugh at. But that is messed up. Like... Here's some flowers. Get better soon. You just got shot in the head. Boom. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is. Okay. <laughs> it's really not funny. I'm sorry. I, I'm not as sensitive people, I swear. No, it's just, it's so dumb. <laughs> yes. Like, it's comical at that point. Well, and I'm also, I'm picturing, like, the plastic flowers that, like, Spongebob carries around, too. Like the, or, like, the clown flowers. Like, that's the flowers I'm picturing. I'm not picturing real flowers. Just fake ones. Yes. While Lisa's in the hospital, and obviously immediately, like I said, Dino's convinced it was Costa. He starts working with the police, like, right away. And pretty quickly, the police are also suspecting Costa. They believe someone committing a robbery in a home would not walk throughout the whole house without grabbing anything because Brian had nothing in his pockets. And nothing that proved that he was trying to steal anything in the house. And then shoot the woman in the bed first. Usually they'd shoot the man. So it was pretty suspicious. And Dino actually started keeping a notebook for the police. With on him that he would write everything he heard or saw from Costa. That seemed to be like a red flag. Some of the things that Dino was keeping a notebook for of was any private calls that he realized Costa was talking to Deidre and all the theories that Costa would like randomly tell to him or Lisa like, oh, I think so-and-so is trying to kill you or, oh, I think so-and-so was involved in this. And there was literally no shortage of theories on who wanted Lisa killed. Obviously, like, Some people were suspecting Deidre Acosta, but any of those people weren't making it known. A lot of the people were pointing at the Marriott owner (laughs) because Lisa was heading this clean up the boardwalk mission so that they couldn't do build the hotel right on the boardwalk. And so they thought that he was having Lisa killed, at least according to the news, because potentially (laughs) (laughs) that she was a threat to him. And then I guess a few weeks before this happened, there was like a big public figure in Daytona who apparently at some event made a lot of like rude and stereotypical comments about Greeks. And Lisa had basically led the brigade on like all the public outrage that followed to make him publicly apologize. So then they're like suspecting this guy. (laughs) And then obviously people were suspecting that maybe Tasia had hired Brian to kill Lisa because she could identify Tasia. She's just stirring up the whole community at this point. Yes. Like, there's so many people at this point that could have been it because of the woman that she was. Exactly. Now, mind you, 
This shooting of Lisa happened in the late Friday night, early Saturday morning, technically hours. So Saturday, November 4th, technically that next night, a 911 call came into police headquarters from from a payphone from a young woman who claimed to really know what happened. I said a young woman. A young man who claimed to really know what happened. Uh, A police car was sent to detain him while he was actually on the phone with the police officers. And turns out it was J.R., Deirdre's ex-boyfriend. And they brought him in and interviewed a taped confession where he basically told them he was, they tried to hire him to kill Lisa as well. The next day, Sunday, the police went to Deirdre's house to speak with her, where Lori was also located. It was very clear Deidre was not willing to cooperate and very clear Lori wouldn't speak to them around Deidre. They ended up getting Lori alone momentarily and she basically told them like, look, I'll come in there tomorrow. Deidre's not around. Like, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll come in the, in the police station. They said, okay, cool. Monday came and went and Lori did not show up. So police went looking for her. And when they found Deidre, she advised she dropped Lori off at a friend's house, but wouldn't give them any more details. All while this is happening, Lisa is in the hospital and she is recovering. She miraculously survived this. And basically they told everyone, investigators, the hospital staff, they all told Lisa and Dino that if it was a bigger caliber gun, she would have been dead. But because it was such a small caliber gun, when Brian went to shoot her, he had shot her. It went, like, through the side of her head. So it didn't go directly in towards her brain or in the middle. So that essentially saved her life. And she was pretty awake and ready to go right away. (laughs) On Tuesday, November 7th, Mike... Cox had been arrested on another unrelated prostitution charge. When they brought him in, he told the police officers arresting him, look, I have evidence on the Topolis shooting, and I can tell you everything if it helps get me a deal. And everything he told them corroborated JR's story, and they realized that Deidre and Costa had been trying to hire multiple people. Side note, I just really love criminals, how they're like, Hey, I got this information for you. I know I just committed this crime, but here's some information for you so you could drop my charges and get somebody else. Right? Well, and what do Costa and Deidre expect? The people that they're trying to, like, hire are career, like, yeah. low lives. Exactly. Like, these are literally career criminals. This is all they do. Of and they're course. not, like, mobster contract hitmen. Like, no. They don't care. They're going to rat you out to get a better deal for themselves any time or day. No, this is not, like, organized crime where everyone, like, sticks together. Like, they're Literally. like, no, we're out. I got some news for you. I know all the dirt on this person, this person. Now give me, a less, like, a lesser charge. Exactly. So Tuesday, November 7th is quite a busy day. So after they arrested Mike and find out all this information, they also catch up with Deidre and Lori. And they took them both in for questioning down in the police station. Lori literally one-on-one with the police officers starts telling them everything. And Deidre is arrested on the spot. 
Lori was actually also arrested two days later. But by the time she had stopped talking to the cops that evening, they felt like they had enough evidence to also arrest Costa for his involvement. Meanwhile, that evening, Costa visited Lisa in the hospital as usual while they both pretended everything was okay and he went through the shades of trying to be like a doting husband. At this point, though, Lisa was pretty convinced that Costa had tried to kill her. After Costa left, the investigators came to Lisa's room and told her and Dino that Costa was going to be arrested for murder that night. They moved Lisa into a different room under Jane Doe just in case, so Costa couldn't find her. And they had Dino stay at the investigator's home, and for Wednesday morning, he would be assigned a personal bodyguard until the noon news, when all the stories of Costa being arrested would break. So hopefully if there was a hit out on Dino, which they suspected at this point there was, (laughs) that... Whoever was the one hired to kill him would see that Costa was arrested and not try to kill Dino anymore. In the early morning hours around 1.30, Wednesday, November 8th, Costa was arrested outside of his home. At the same time he is being arrested, Deidre is at the police station telling officers literally everything she knew. She told them about the affair how Costa was supposedly involved in the CIA and all those mob links that he had told her. She's telling him about his arsenal of weapons, his counterfeit scheme. She tells them about the Kevin Ramsey murder and all the recruiting they did for the killers and the failed attempts to kill Lisa. She also talks about him laundering money running prostitutes, and basically so much more because Costa was one shady-ass motherfucker. Deidre even actually goes with them and leads them to where Kevin's body is, and they did find him. They went on a heavy search to try and locate the guns, including the gun and silencer used to kill Kevin. And Costa had actually dug and buried a lot in, like, wooded areas around there. And they ended up finding some of them actually buried in the back of the Fotopolis past Balaki's home. While they were there looking for the guns, they also found in the garage a tape in a bag, a videotape. And this videotape actually was the footage of Kevin's murder. At this point, that was like the nail in the coffin for Costa. Deidre had pled guilty to all charges, and on September of 1990, the following year, a sentencing of Deidre was held. She was given two death sentences for the murders of Brian Chase and Kevin Ramsey, and six life sentences for the various attempts on Lisa's life, conspiracy, and burglary. She became the youngest woman on death row at the age of 21 in the whole United States. She had tried to claim she was a victim of Costa and it was all his idea, but no one bought into that story. The next month in October 1990, Costa was tried for the murder and several attempted murders. Deidre did decide to testify against him. He tried to plant everything on Deidre and claim that she was doing all of this because they were having an affair and he wouldn't leave Lisa because he loved her. He even tried to claim it wasn't his voice on the tape of Kevin Ramsey because, mind you, he's not actually in it. 
and that he had that tape on in the home because he had given his video recorded to Deidre at her request, but he thought she was going to make a sex tape of her and Lori. So that's why he did it. And But he never had time to watch it. Way to just throw her under the bus. <laughs> Literally. On October 25th, 1990, Costa Fotopoulos was also found guilty for both murders of Kevin Ramsey and Brian Chase and the six attempts on his wife's life. On November 1st, just a new year from the shooting, Costa was sentenced to two death sentences and six life sentences. On November 15th, Taja James and Lori Henderson, who both had testified against Costa, each received no less than four years in prison for conspiracy to commit murder and attempted murder. Lisa Fotopoulos took back her maiden name, Paspalakis, and continued to run Joyland with her brother, Dino. In January of 1991, Stino Paspalakis' body was exhumed at the request of his family. Unfortunately, no toxins were found and no signs that he was killed by anything other than a brain aneurysm since it had been three years. But the ME did decide that because it had been so long, they would still leave the ruling of death undetermined since they couldn't verify any actual reason he had been he had died. Today, Lisa still runs Joyland in Daytona Beach. It is still there. And right behind it, Lisa's gift shop. She also remarried and no, now goes by Lisa Pissaros. I think it's actually Saros is how you say it in the peace silent. Not 100%. <laughs> and then I know, Sydney, you had mentioned you also saw that Deidre had appealed her death penalty sen- sentences, correct? She had, yes. I don't know the exact year, but she is no longer on death row. Interesting. But she is serving multiple life sentences, so she will forever be in prison. Definitely. She might as well be on death row, but she's not going to actually... I mean, she's going to die in prison, but... Literally. Not by, like, the firing squad in different matters. (laughs) Costa did also try to appeal his death penalty sentences, but his appeals were overturned, and he is still currently sitting on death row. I have some fun facts, too, (laughs) that I, like, randomly found, and I didn't know where to fit them, and I don't know if they're necessarily fun facts, but... So, I had, uh, I had listened to the audiobook, but there is a book, Perfect Husband, The True Story of the Trusting Bride, who discovered her husband was a cold-blooded killer by Gary Provost. There's also another book titled Sex, Money, and Murder in Daytona Beach, The book I read, Perfect Husband, was actually written with the help of Liso and Dino Paspalakis. There's a lot of fluff that I didn't include in this case, but I would highly recommend it for someone who likes to read true crime stories or listen. I, like I said, I did the audiobook because it was super interesting to like think of all the stuff that Dino and Lisa have recounted or their feelings during certain events. There's also an Oxygen Channel episode on Snapped Killer Couples. (laughs) The Costa Fotopolis story. I love me a good episode of Snapped on a Saturday (laughs) morning, let me tell you. It really gets me going. Oh, I bet. (laughs) 
Um, one of the other fun facts, Lisa returned to work at Joyland within a week of the shooting. Yes, I definitely got this shot in the head, is in the hospital, and while in the hospital, her husband's arrested for her attempted murder, and she gets out of the hospital, and within a couple days, she's back at work. Like, what? (laughs) Those family businesses, though, I mean, you can't, you gotta be back. Somebody will be yelling at you. Yeah, what the heck? It's so wild. And she still has that bullet lodged in her brain. To this day, because surgeons believe going in and trying to remove it will cause more damage since sitting where it's sitting right now is causing essentially none. And it's safer than trying to remove it. Right above the left eye. Wild. Very wild. I also did um, read an article as well that she had, quote, said... It was a terrible time, but it is what it is. Like, what the fuck? I would yeah. have a lot, I have a lot worse words to say about my ex-husband trying to kill me. Not once, but six times. And, like, it's obviously been more than 30 years, but, like, she's very clearly, like, moved on. Like, it happened, she, it's done, and it is what it is. She's, like, it hasn't stopped her. She, you know, remarried I believe Dino has two kids now, and she's, like, super involved in their lives. She's still very active on the boardwalk and in Daytona Beach community. I mean, like, good for her. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, everyone copes differently, but even to hear, like, her story, it seems like she was, like, over it when she went back to work. Like, all right, I got to carry on with my life. Like, is what it is. Was a bump in the road, and we're doing it again. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I just genuinely think it's really amazing. And she's so, like, what a badass, and how strong are you for that? Seriously. Well, I know that was a long one, folks. Hopefully you bared with us throughout it all to hear the happy ending. I know a lot of times there isn't a happy ending in true crime cases. Fortunately, this is one of those stories that... It does pretty much have a good ending. Which is good. We need some happiness in our lives. Agreed. Before we leave, any final thoughts before we read your joke, Sydney? No, I've been waiting all day for this. All right. Well, take it away then. Why shouldn't you trust tacos? Why? Because they always spill the beans. <laughs> that was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I totally forgot the Florida man segment at the end of the last one. But with this being a Florida case, I felt like it was so important that we also include a Florida man case. So... Googling Florida Man Taco, I found a great one for us. Takes place in Boynton Beach, kind of like Miami area, South Florida. (laughs) The headline, are you ready for this? No. Florida Man makes himself a snack while robbing Taco Bell. This man is on footage in 2019 robbing a Taco Bell in the Boynton Beach Mall at night, 
They believe he's responsible for at least two burglaries in the mall within the past month. And the footage shows him in the kitchen making himself food as well as stealing the cash. Man, this is like when the riots were going on and people were trying to rob Chipotle. And I was like, what are you guys going to do? Make food? Like, what can you get out of Chipotle? I mean, I'm going to be honest. If I'm robbing anywhere, it's probably a food place. Like, I'm going to take this tortilla warmer and some lettuce. I got to go. Oh, I would for sure take the tortilla warmer home with me. I'd make the best quesadillas. It's the only good thing they have for you to, like, bring with you. Like, you can't, you can't ride those in a chips, Chipotle. Those chips go bad in, like, six hours. That's what I'm saying. By the time you walk home, your food's going to be bad. <laughs> well, folks, thanks for sticking with us to our eighth episode. This wow. is so big. The weekend before this comes out, I will be in Daytona Beach, actually, area visiting family. So stay tuned. I'll also post some outdoor pictures of, like, current updates on our social media pages visiting Joyland. Because I'm a go. Bogus. Take me with you. <laughs> you can come visit. My. My family that lives down in Florida, for those of you that don't know, are my mom and my grandparents, and they all love Sydney. So, she's welcome anytime. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to have to slide into your text messages after this. I might have to figure something out. <laughs> but I go, like, once a month and visit. So. You do, I know. <laughs> well, you can like and follow us on Facebook at Tacos and Tequila podcast. It's T E K I L L Y A. Or on Instagram at tacos and tequila. Feel free to slide in our DMs about some cases. I know we've gotten a couple suggestions about what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think. I know probably one of my next cases will be a listener suggestion. So stay tuned, y'all. I was thinking the same thing. And then we do also have a Gmail that you can email. Tacos and tequila. At gmail. (laughs) So feel free. Feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's greatly appreciated. I would love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I see that Same. only nine people were willing to Apple Podcast me. Yeah, we would love some reviews, folks. It helps us get out there for more people to find us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us on Spotify as well. So like and follow us on subscribe on any platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, anything like that. And... We, we're just happy we're still here and doing this. <laughs> so thank you for being a fan and listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, honestly. I didn't think, I thought it was just going to be Peyton and I listening. Which, I Same. mean, I think, I think it is. But <laughs> whoever you other people are out there, we appreciate you. Gold um, sticker to you. Immensely. <laughs> gold sticker, gold star, all the things. High five. Yep, slide in my DMs. I want to hear from you. (laughs) 
Well, we will be talking to you guys next week. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. Ha 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 ha!